I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, we're going to look at the end of the first chapter and the beginning of the second. We're returning to our series we had uh, earlier, well I guess through the fall, we looked at 1 Peter and then the beginning of 2 Peter. We're returning to that now starting at verse 19 of chapter 1. But so that we can see that in context, I'd like to read with you starting in verse 16. The Apostle Peter, speaking to the church scattered throughout the world, scattered amongst unbelief, says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do what you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Amen. Beloved servants of Christ, our sovereign King. The idea is often commended in our age. That education is the answer to most of society's struggles. Someone is impoverished, well, teach him how to budget. Someone is unemployed, well, send him off to get a degree. Someone's addicted to drugs. Well, we need to educate that person on the danger of drugs. Groups of people are violent toward each other. Well, we need to educate them on their differences. We need to teach them to appreciate their diversity. Education for our Western culture is almost always the first answer given, the first tool pulled out of the toolbox. However, while education is important, What is taught and by whom matters deeply. It's great to get an education, but less helpful if the teacher lacks useful knowledge. It's wonderful to learn how the world works, but tragic when the teacher ignores the one who made the world and designs how it works. It matters what we are taught and by whom. False education is far worse than no education. And so it is that Peter speaks to us on this first Sunday of the year. As we replace our old calendars with brand new ones, 
And we prepare ourselves for the challenges and opportunities of a new year. The Apostle urges us to think carefully about how we will learn, how we will be equipped for the tasks that loom ahead on the pages of that calendar. Specifically, God's servant urges careful discernment of the teaching authorities to whom we look. God's servant urges careful discernment of our teaching authorities, because not all who would teach us are created equal. And listening to some of those who would teach us could be deeply harmful. As we consider then how God's servant urges careful discernment of our teaching authorities, we see first how he commends the divine counsel of Scripture, which is what we see here at the end of chapter 1. Remember that Peter has been urging God's people to receive the blessing that God has given. At the very start of this letter, he pointed out that God has provided all that we need for life and for godliness. But we are called to use what he has given wisely and well. We need to build with what God has given. We need to use the gifts that he supplies. Verse 10 Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. In other words, we can't just be passive bystanders. We need to take what he's given and wisely, with our eyes on him, use it. And to that end, Peter commends the divine counsel of Scripture, because Scripture is the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now, what exactly does that mean? It's prophetic, So that means it's a word that's written and distributed by prophets, by servants of the church sent by God, by men who received from God direct revelation. That prophetic word, says Peter, has been confirmed. It was confirmed by Peter and the other apostles who saw that fulfillment in the things that Jesus taught and accomplished, in the very character and life of Jesus himself. In Jesus... They saw the evidence that what the scriptures foretold was fulfilled. And thereby they saw confirmation that the prophetic word was true. So Peter reminds the church, you can trust the scriptures. You can believe that prophecy. And that's even more clear when we grasp the origin of scripture. Verse 20 rejects a false claim that was as common then as it is now. Namely, that Scripture originates with man. We think of that as a common claim. That it's just in the last 150 years or so that people have tried to denounce Scripture as just the impressions or the experiences of men filled with fallacies and lies and distortions. That's not new. That's not new at all. The Gnostics of old did it. So did a number of other heretics. Satan has always sought to attack the word that brings life. That's not new. But he tells us that no prophecy of Scripture, verse 20, comes from someone's own interpretation. You see, Scripture always involves interpretation because it always has context. Scripture was never given in a vacuum. It always comes to a particular people at a particular point in history in a particular situation, a particular historical time and event. And the scripture 
interprets that situation. It evaluates the significance of what's happening at that time to God's people, and it addresses the need of those involved. And Peter says, the interpretation involved in Scripture doesn't come from men. Moses did not decide how Israel was to regard Egypt. That came from God. David wasn't insightful enough to teach Israel how to understand the rule of King Saul. Neither Ezekiel nor Jeremiah devised the best interpretive grid for understanding the exile, nor was Nehemiah the architect of Israel's post-exilic worldview. Those men, despite being prophets, weren't the brains of the operation. In fact, Peter says, lest we miss the point, verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. False prophecy, sure, that all comes from the will of man. But true prophecy is the gift of God alone. And that's the constant testimony of God's word. In, Ezekiel, or in Exodus 3, verse 16, God commanded Moses to go and to speak to Israel, not the wisdom of Moses, but the wisdom that God himself would provide for him. And when Moses balked at that idea, suggested that he was neither wise enough nor eloquent enough for the task, God said in Exodus 4, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what you should speak. So Moses was merely the mouthpiece of what God would declare through him. Likewise, in Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah reported, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all, for to, all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. So again... Jeremiah was the mouthpiece. He was the messenger. His age didn't matter because it wasn't his wisdom that Israel needed. And so we read at the beginning of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 3. God said to the prophet, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. And that's the way it's always been. It's not the will of men that causes them to speak and it's not the wisdom of men that The prophets spoke, but rather men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Whether they were speaking or writing, it was the Spirit of God that was inspiring. Not just the sentiments, but the sentences and the words and the letters themselves. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Not one jot or tittle shall pass away until all that I have spoken to you is accomplished, is fulfilled. A jot and a tittle, that refers to the the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, a yod. Looks like a comma, or an apostrophe. And a tittle, that's just one little piece of a letter. that makes the difference between the Hebrew kaf, or k, and pe, or p. A little tiny piece of a letter. Even that is inspired. Even that is preserved by the Lord. Now these men, they were, they were worthy men. They were holy. They were godly. And yet it was God himself that was guiding them at every point. 
In 1 Peter 1 verse 11, the apostle says it was the Spirit of Christ speaking in the Scriptures that, pre- that predicted Jesus' sufferings. In Acts 1.16, Peter says that when David wrote the Scripture, it was actually the Holy Spirit who spoke. And that means, my friends, that this word we find in the Scriptures is far more trustworthy than anything else written by mere men that you could ever encounter. And it's because of the absolute trustworthiness, the absolute divine origin of this word that Peter can say, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Pay attention, says the apostle, to that divine word. Don't just let it sit there on the shelf and collect dust. Don't act like it's as useful as a set of blueprints in the hand of a monkey. You live in a dark place, and that's the light. You live in a place that is filled with sin and unbelief. You are surrounded by lies that would lead you eternally astray. You need desperately a source of light that is true and that will guide you in the way of life and peace. And that's what Scripture is. That's what will allow you to discern between right and wrong, between true and false, that will allow you to recognize what matters and reject what's wrong. So pay attention, he says. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's not an attempt to put an expiration date on God's word. It's simply saying, until Christ returns or takes you to be with him. You pay attention to this word. You follow its light. You allow yourself to be guided by this wisdom that is not merely from men. My friends, that is crucial for us. As a church family, we have faced an abundance of struggles in recent months. That makes it really easy to lose hope. Because those struggles start to become our focus. And the more we focus on the struggles, the less we focus on our hope. The more we focus on cancer or pain or broken relationships or sin or hurt, the more we focus on dysfunction and what it costs, the more we're robbed of our hope and plunged into the darkness. But God gave His Word to fill our lives with light and to put us back on track. The prophetic Word of Scripture shows us day by day by day the hope that we crave. It gets us out of our self-pity and turns our hearts to Christ. Those hard situations, they wither away. They, They shrink down into nothing in the light of God's faithful promises. And we're surrounded by temptations. Never has there been an age in which temptation struck us so relentlessly. Satan absolutely loves that technology that puts every temptation right at your finger, fingertips, that draws it right into your bedroom. It's ugly and he loves it. But as we immerse ourselves in this light, we start to see clearly the ugliness and the hurt and the pain, and the death that is wrapped up in those temptations. And we also see the strength, because we can't stand against those temptations on our own, can we, young people? We'll fall every time. We'll stumble right into the pit that Satan laid for us. But 
This word reminds us you do not walk by your own light. You do not stand by your own strength. You do not belong to yourself. You were bought with a price. And he who bought you now identifies you. You are servants of the King, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, no longer enslaved to those sins. And so you can say no to those temptations. You have the power to say no and to walk away from Satan. But you'll only remember that. You'll only find strength in that if you're spending time in this Word. And that's especially true for you office bearers. God has called you to serve folks who are stumbling about in the dark. Some are walking pathways that are absolutely littered with spiritual landmines. Others are walking through landscapes that are dreary and dark. They crave comfort and guidance and the sure hope of Christ. And to you, dear brothers, God has entrusted the light. Light that can direct folks out of that overwhelming spiritual darkness. Light that illuminates paths that are littered with dangerous temptation. Light that reveals hope and help and joy that has previously been unknown. God entrusts that light to you men. And He calls you to give it to the saints. So don't stumble about in the dark with them. No, shine the light on their path and then walk alongside of them as they enjoy the blessings of that light. That's what you do when you bring Scripture to bear on the difficulties your brothers and sisters face. When you come alongside a brother or a sister who is struggling with their sin and you show them not just the sinfulness of what they've been doing, but also their identity in Christ and their power in the Holy Spirit. And then you walk alongside them and show them accountability and show them the better way and show them what it looks like to live in Christ. You're shining the light of this word upon their path and leading them toward the holy city. And when you offer the soothing balm of God's promise of forgiveness to a saint who is overwhelmed by his sin, or when you come alongside someone who's grieving and you remind her of how Christ has overcome death, or when you recall for someone in need that God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, when you do these things, applying Scripture to those situations that overwhelm them, you're shining the light of Christ upon their path. You're ushering them into the arms of their Father. You're comforting them in their hour of need. And my brothers, you must. To this you are called. And it's one of the greatest privileges we could have, whether you're an elder, whether you're a deacon. What a privilege it is to walk into the the need of your brother, of your sister, and to show them the light of life that leads them out of the dark. But be aware. That if you don't share the truth with them, someone else will be more than happy to share the lie. That's the other half of this message from Peter. Having commended the divine counsel of Scripture, the apostle then condemns the false counselors of this age. Peter recalls for his readers that in the past God sent prophets, but there also were false prophets. And God warned Israel early on that that would happen. In Deuteronomy 13, he said some prophets would arise and would show great signs, but but they need to test that message because some of those prophets would be false prophets leading them into lies. And what God warned about happened. King Ahab kept hundreds of false prophets to justify him in following after his own will. 
Jeremiah often had to confront false prophets who undermined his work and whom he was forced to condemn. Ezekiel had to warn the exiles not to believe everyone who spoke, of, spoke to them in the Lord's name because some of them were speaking lies. And Nehemiah, after the exile, he was opposed and undermined by those who taught lies. Just as God seeks to lead God's people in the way of life, Satan has always sought to steer us in the way of death. And he hasn't stopped. Jesus warned that false prophets would seek to lead us astray. Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep, like other lambs in the flock. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. They get close to you. They get your trust. They buddy up to you, but in fact they want to devour you. Later on in Matthew 24, Jesus warned the disciples that that some of those false prophets would even claim that he had already returned and would lead them away from the path of truth. Paul said the same in 1 Timothy 4. He said, folks will turn away from the truth and follow after the teaching of demons. Rejecting the good things that God has called them to receive with thanksgiving. And the same thing's happening today. Today, people have ears that itch for teachings that are new and deep and exciting. Today, Satan speaks convincingly lies aimed at obliterating the truth of God. These false teachers, says Peter, will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Heresies are false teachings. Heresies are things that lead astray from the truth that saves us. And Peter says these teachers will even deny the master who bought them. They reject the one who came to save God's people. They claim to follow the true God, but in fact they refuse the Savior whom he sent. Now that, does that sound a little odd to you right there? Jesus only died for those whom he would save, right? So if he is the master who bought them, does that mean that these false teachers are Christians? Well, no, not at all. Peter's referring to these false teachers as those denying the master who bought them because they give every appearance of being Christians. Some of them, they live outwardly faultless lives. They might even present themselves as men well acquainted with the scriptures, as those who would be leaders among the people of God. But they're not believers. They're liars who follow the father of lies. They're fierce wolves who arise within the flock, wearing sheepskin, blending in with the flock, but they seek to devour. And Jesus assures us, well, he assures us that none who come to him will ever fall away. No one can snatch us from his hand. But he also assures us through the Apostle John that if they turn away, then they were never part. Of his flock. Understand, the false teachers of whom Peter warns here, they're a threat today. They arise within the modern church among those who claim to be Christians 
And folks follow those sheepskin-wearing wolves. They follow them down paths that promise satisfaction to the flesh. They follow them on the basis of lies that sound like the truth. They follow in paths of sensuality, in ways of fleshly lusts. Promising you can have your best life now. You can enjoy the moment. It'll be fine. Don't deny yourself. God made you with those desires. God made you that way. He wouldn't, he wouldn't make you that way if he didn't want you to go that way. Don't we see that throughout the American church today? As they seek to justify homosexuality and, and transgenderism and all kinds of other perversions. As they seek to convince people that the way of the lie is actually the truth. That the darkness they long to embrace is actually the light. But when they do it, the way of truth is blasphemed, says Peter. Remember, these false teachers present themselves as Christians, even as Christian leaders. And when finally they are caught, when finally they are unveiled for the wickedness that they possess, and that will happen, it always happens. We've even seen it in our own federation of churches. Men who are later found to have been absolute wolves among the flock, devouring the weakest of the lambs. And in time, it all comes out in the light. And what happens? Satan and those who serve him say, Aha, look, see? There's no such thing as a holy person. God doesn't have the power to change people. That's what, it's all self-serving. It's all about the flesh. See, you're no better. You're no different. And the way of Christ and the power of Christ is blasphemed. So beware of their wickedness, especially you men who lead the church. Beware and expect such wicked imposters to arise. Satan loves to attack the church of Christ. He counts it a great win if he can claim one who has claimed Christ. Years ago, I had an office in the church I was serving that was down in the basement. It was not the best place for an office. It was, it was cinder block walls in the basement of the church. And uh, if you walked in the church looking for the pastor, you had to kind of go on a scavenger hunt. Um, But thankfully, there were squeaky floors. So normally I could tell when somebody walked in the church and I could race upstairs to greet them. Uh, Except this one time, every once in a while, somebody would miss the squeak. And uh, this one time, all of a sudden, two guys fill my doorway. Kind of surprised me. Two young men, white shirts, Black ties, backpacks, name tags. The Mormons had come visiting. To the church basement. To the pastor's study. I thought, surely not. Oh yeah. Can we talk to you about a new revelation of Jesus Christ? I said, you've got to be kidding me. Sure, come on in, let's talk. That's not an anomaly. Satan loves to attack the church, and if he can attack a leader of the church, if he can lead astray one who has been entrusted with authority in the church, he counts it a triple win. They weren't there by accident. They honestly wanted to take a shot at turning the minister aside into lies. And they will do the same for our elders. They will do the same for our deacons. So, brothers, beware 
Test everything and hold fast only to that which is good. Because you men are targets. But you can stand strong. And you will stand strong if you're standing on this foundation. The truth of God's word which saves those who believe it and empowers those who trust in it. Use that word to arm yourself so that you can immediately recognize the lie when it presents itself and so that you know where your, your hope and your strength are found when you find yourself weak. Arm yourself with that word by reading it constantly, by studying it frequently, by memorizing it always. And then having read that word, pray, seek the help, seek the strength of the one who sent it. And He will give you the discernment. He will give you the strength that you can always stand strong. And indeed, let all of us expect the attacks of Satan and prepare well to resist. This isn't just for the office bearers. My friends, if you think that you're not ripe for attack, read some church history. Read some church church history and see how often Satan attacks the church and how effective he can be at it. You study the history of the church and you'll see the subtlety and the power with which Satan attacks and the destruction he's capable of bringing. And having seen how real his threat is, again, spend time in that word so that you might know who you are and where your strength is found. Spend time on your knees praying for God to equip you, praying for God to open your eyes, praying for God to make you stand strong. Spend time with one another, strengthening and drawing strength. We talked last night about how the church is the salt of the earth and the church is the light of the world. And we saw that it is entirely possible for the salt to leach out if we don't continue to be affected by the other the others who are the salt. If we're only affected by the world, the salt will leach away and will be useless. But if we're surrounded by those who are also the salt, if we are surrounded by those who also reflect the light of Christ, then we will shine brightly and people looking on our good works will glorify our Father. But we need to focus on Him. My friends, learning is helpful. No question about that. But what we learn and from whom makes all the difference. Satan will seek to lead us astray. The struggles and the hardships that we have faced over the last months, Satan's going to try to use every one of those to fill your mind with doubt about God's power, to fill your mind with doubt about whether you're standing firm in him to lead you astray into other sources of help or hope. Only God leads us in the way of light and life and truth. And He does so by means of His Word, which is tested and true, which draws us unto life eternal, and which equips us to stand firm against every single scheme of Satan. So embrace that Word and all that it teaches you, especially you men who are called to lead the church. And through that word, God will bless us. God will keep us. God will guide us until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we desperately need what only you can provide. We know that Satan attacks. We know his power and his hatred. But we know that your love and your power are greater. So teach us to study and to embrace and to delight in the message of your love and your strength found in Scripture. Cause us to stand firm and to strengthen and encourage one another in standing firm. And be glorified in this, your people, as we rest not in ourselves and not in men, but in the one man, the true man, Christ Jesus, our Savior and King. In his name we pray it all. Amen.